This week on Punch Mountain, it's a valuable lesson for men and women alike. Never let anything get between you and your breakfast sandwich. Don't forget to feed your hyena because we're watching Birds of Prey. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We do not make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined as always by the fantabulous David Hada. David Hada, how are you? Am I getting emancipated? Hell yeah, I'm out of here. Finally, you can be free of your parents' shackles. Yay! Oh man, I've been wanting that one for a while. Uh, how, how are you, Mac? Uh, are you looking forward to talking about Birds of Prey tonight? I am, David, because that is the movie we're doing. Birds of Prey, colon, The Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Real quick, let's talk about this title. Before we even get to anything else, screw your feelings. This title was a mistake, right? I suppose. Well, uh, yes, it clearly was because of the changes they made to it. Where, like, it, they originally did Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous, blah, 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 of Harley Quinn. Then they just went Birds of Prey, and then I think they just went like, hey, it's that Harley Quinn movie. So, like, the studio didn't like it. I, I know what they're going for with it, but y- you can never tell with people and audiences and what they're going to like and not like. But uh, well, y- you seem to have opinions on this one, Mac. Well, no, because the second week it was out, I think they, they did change the name to, like, Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. And I, I like the title because I like long, goofy titles, kind of like Precious, based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. Like, it's just something I can never forget. And I do like the title, but it probably should have just been called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey or something along those lines. And then maybe on the title card, you can have Harley Quinn scratch it out because she's a bad cartoon character and then write in like what she would call it. So David, opening thoughts now that we got that title talk out of the way. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I guess that was a ring bell sound effect. (laughs) This has been title talk. I will not add that in post. Opening thoughts, David. What is your history with this movie? Or you know what? What's your history with Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn? Ooh, Harley Quinn, I know from Batman, the animated series, where if I'm not mistaken, that's where they got their start, right? It wasn't like a comic creation. It was a animated series creation. Yep, created by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm for the cartoon. You're correct. So there you go. I was there for Ground Zero, baby. I was there for the creation of Harley Quinn. And, you know, I've always been a fan of that iteration of Harley Quinn. Once they tried to, like, make it sexy and stuff like that. Well, just the whole DC universe. I don't want to be a fanboy about any of this, but that whole thing's a mess, Mac. It's a goddamn mess. Sure is. But I, I saw this movie on a whim, you know, when it came out. I don't know if it caught me by surprise, but I was I was I enjoyed the heck out of it. I think my my level of enjoyment caught me by surprise. Like this is a movie I keep coming back to. In fact, this was a movie that I had sort of championed early on as one of the few movies that we did, but we got sidetracked with Deadly Prey and then Prey, and we just weren't going to do a third Prey movie right away. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. I cannot wait. What about you, Mac? Obviously, you're more entrenched in comic book lore than I am and in Batman lore than I am. So what are your opening thoughts going in? Before I get into that, David, I mean, this movie came out one month before everything shut down for the pandemic. This is one of the last like wide release movies. In my research of this, I thought this was the last movie I saw before pandemic. This just happens to be the last one I remember well. In fact, it was Invisible Man was the last one I saw. But, you know, if you're if you're walking around with Harley Quinn in your pocket as the last movie you saw, that's not a bad movie. The last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic, Terminator Dark Fate. So I obviously choose my time wisely. I would like to hit that for the podcast one day because I remember liking parts of it 
but you know, any major sci-fi series is just law of diminishing returns. With what sequel number nine or something? Well, it's funny. I was going to say, you know, take solace in the fact that Terminator Dark Fate is your last movie and not one of those bloodshot schmucks. But then I think, man, Vin Diesel and Guy Pierce, we should do bloodshot for the for the show one of these days. Oh, I would do bloodshot in a goddamn heartbeat. <laughs> I haven't I've never seen it. So, David, I'm a big Batman fan. I'm a big fan of Batman the Animated Series. I'm a big fan of not liking Suicide Squad because I did not enjoy that movie. And so before this movie even starts, I have a lot of opinions about Harley Quinn and how she's portrayed. And as I've learned time after time, when I watch a movie and I have certain expectations, it's hard for me to judge a movie as is because I first have to judge it against my expectations. And so this is a film I kind of wish I had enough time to watch a second time to really soak it in. But I, when I started watching it, I watched this movie over a course of two nights. I think I watched like the first 15 minutes in night one. Between night one and, and night two, I put some effort into kind of clearing my expectations, but kind of getting my thoughts about Harley Quinn in order. Like I read some comics about Harley Quinn. I watched one episode of the Harley Quinn HBO Max cartoon. I listened to two different podcasts, uh, one about this movie, one about the comic book Mad Love. And it's kind of like I went on this the world's lamest montage where it's like, I need some time to myself, really figure some things out. It's like, oh, what are you figuring out? How I feel about Harley Quinn? It's like, no, this is, you know, like throwing some skipping stones. I just see a local jester and I'm just like, hmm, what do I think about this? And I kind of landed on this take on Harley Quinn. First of all, Batman the Animated Series, great, awesome. It's just such a pure distillation of, of Batman. And I think that is my favorite Joker is the animated series Joker, because that Joker is fun. I mean, look, I like Heath Ledger's Joker, right? I like the Joker in uh, Dark Knight Returns, who's like very, you know, he's terrifying in the Frank Miller comic. It's nice to have a Joker that is fun, but David, Joker is not fun anymore. The days where Joker is fun are long behind us. Harley Quinn, though, at least in this movie, is still fun. And I like fun. I'm like, you know what? Harley Quinn is fun. She's a cartoon character in this movie. And the parts of this movie where she's a cartoon character, I think are great. Now, it took me a little bit to warm up to her because I do find Harley Quinn a little grating at first. And that might just be some residual Suicide Squad stuff because she still she still looks like the Hot Topic version of Harley Quinn. The costume that she wore in the animated series, that's not going to work in real life. Like I was listening to a podcast with cartoonist Katie Skelly, and they were talking about her little jester um, balls or whatever, her little ears or something, mm-hmm. that they're kind of treated like ears in the cartoon. Like if she's surprised, they go straight up, you know, and if she's scared, they'll go out, like that kind of thing. I mean, you're just not going to get that in the movie. But I think this movie, you know, it's a bit of a mess uh, at times, but I think it found its groove and uh, Margot Robbie's great. And, and the most pertinent thing of all, David, I thought the action in this movie was so much fun. So uh, I'm excited to talk about it because, yeah, I got some feelings to sort out, David. Let's do it. This movie was therapy for Harley Quinn. Let's make it therapy for us. Okay, but before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search Birds of Prey movie on Google, I kind of cheated. Usually sometimes I'll just search, you know, the title. But it only brought up three questions that time. But if you type Birds of Prey movie on Google, the results include these four frequently asked questions. So we'll do some quickly provided answers. Mac, is Birds of Prey a sequel to Suicide Squad? No, the sequel to Suicide Squad was the James Gunn-directed The Suicide Squad. Birds of Prey is, of course, a gritty reboot of the Angry Birds franchise. David, is Birds of Prey a good movie? Yes, just go watch it, dummy. Quit hanging out on Google. Mac, why was the Joker not in Birds of Prey? Because he was too busy at Fiesta Texas San Antonio on Joker's Revenge, America's only all-backwards roller coaster. David, is Birds of Prey a feminist movie? Five female leads and no one made him kiss? Yes, this is a feminist movie. <laughs> what a d- who's writing that question? <laughs> Do you think they're typing that in like, is Bird's Prey a famous movie? Hold on. 
Does this movie believe that women should be equal to men? Uh, nuh-uh. I'll bet it's some incel who's like a closet human being and they're like, all right, I kind of want to go see this movie. Let me check before I go take my buddies to it. I want to see what this feminism thing is about. <laughs> Finally understand what these women are talking about all the time. Oh, they're talking about birds of prey. Yeah. Well, there we go. We did it. Before we watch a violent clown struggle to get out of the shadow of an even more violent clown, let's check in with a couple of non-violent friends who are always down to clown with each other. Good God, it's a fantabulous friendship check-in. David Hada, how are you? For real this time. None of your none of your bullshit from earlier. You're pandering. All right, fine. Let me turn the chair around. Let me tell you how it really is, Mac. Hell yeah. Backwards hat time. <laughs> That's right. My leather jacket and everything. Uh, yeah, I'm proud. I'm, I'm boasting about the fact that I put on shoes for this show. Does that matter? It sure doesn't. But uh, I work from home, Mac. And so... Well, let me ask you this. Do you, uh, what's your what's your house shoe routine? Do you do you have a, a house shoe of choice? Yeah, I have a pair of flip flops. That is my primary shoe for inside the house when I need them. But I'm primarily barefoot in the home. Okay, so yeah, I I, I go with a uh, a lined croc. I, I've I've settled with that as my footwear of choice. I enjoy it. I I wear them all all the time to the point where like I'm getting ready for the show and I'm like, ah, this feels too informal. I'm putting shoes on for this show. So Mac, I just want you to know. I'm dressed up for the occasion. I've got uh, I've got footwear on. I've got pants on. I've got the whole outfit. Well, that's exciting. I, I appreciate that, I guess. <laughs> you fucking better. Oh, wow. How are you, Mac? I'm good, David, but I had a very concerning incident. Uh, last week, I was working on this project, and some people were talking about a movie, and I was kind of half listening because I was focusing on something else. And then I realized that they were talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. David, did you like that movie? I did like it. I liked it quite a bit. I liked it, too. And then I realized the people that were talking about it did not seem to like it. And then they turned around and they asked myself and another guy sitting next to me, they were like, did you guys like it? And I was about to open my mouth to say, no, I didn't like it. I loved it. And the guy to my right said like, you know, it feels like a movie that's written by theater kids and I don't like theater kids. No, I didn't like it. I listen to these people pick apart a movie that they had no depth into. You know what I mean? Sure. One person said like, I mean, I get that concept that, you know, any choice we make could branch out into different realities. I think, I guess some people need that, need that belief. And I mean, I, look, I've thought about it. Oh, she thinks the people of this movie think that the multiverse, it, it's like their argument that this thing exists. Not that it's any sort of like storytelling device. I just, I don't know why, but I was like, it was really bothered me to hear this. And then as the person uh, went on and they're talking about other things, I was trying to really crack their personality because it was confusing. And then I, I realized David, the term is basic. Oh. These people were just basic, David. Mm-hmm. That happens, man. At least in their taste of movie. Yeah, I know. It was it was weird. And David, I, I get a little self-conscious sometimes having so many opinions about movies. You know, because on one hand, who wants it, right? However, most of the time when I'm talking about art and stuff and, and entertainment, I'm trying to get out why I liked it, what it did well, what it says, how it relates, these kind of things. And even though we're talking about action movies and what we find fun... At least we're looking for things that resonate with us. You know, at least we're not people that think that movie Parasite is just about uh, the real theory of people who dwell underneath your homes. Go check your homes right now. But anyway, David, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I should be honest with you, Mac. Uh, when you first asked me what I thought of Everything Everywhere All at Once, I almost said I didn't like it. I loved it. So if you listen to that hesitation, that was exactly going to be my response to you. I thought that hesitation was like an essay in your head that you decided to not not read which you know speaking of that ties back in because you're like well mac did you ever tell him how you felt about the movie no they they got about 30 seconds into their conversation that i just was like you know what no they don't need they don't need my take on this no one is asking i will keep it to myself 
Mac, this is the whole reason this show exists, because you and I like talking about movies, but not with people. I remember when I used to get on Twitter and everyone would just be their dumb opinions about movies. And I got real sick of it. And then now, God, I would give anything if Twitter was back to just being people's opinions about movies. I ruined it, David. Oh, my God. I ruined it. You wished it into the cornfield, Mac. I know. I did. I ruined things. Okay, David, are you down to clown? You bet I am, Mac. We're going in. I just a level set. In case people out there are wholly unfamiliar with this, can you, David Hada, give them the back of the box description? You ever hear the one about the cop, the songbird, the psycho, and the mafia princess? This twisted tale is told by Harley Quinn herself, as only Harley can tell it. When Gotham's most nefariously narcissistic villain, Roman Sionis Black Mask, and his zealous right-hand Zaz put a target on a young girl named Cass, the city has turned upside down looking for her. While on the trail, Harley clashes with the birds of prey, but the unlikely foursome may have to team up to take Roman down. 2020, 109 minutes, directed by Kathy Ann, rated R for strong violence and language throughout, and some sexual and drug material. Huh. Both a good and bad back of the box. Good, because there's some stuff there that uh, I, I feel like is, is helpful. Like, it's clarifies some stuff. Like, oh, Mafia Princess. Is that how this movie pegged Huntress? That's interesting. But then nefariously narcissistic villain Roman Sionis. Uh, that's, I, did, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I get it and I don't get it. How so? We know what it is, David, and we'll talk about this later. The only part of Roman Sionis that does not make sense, Ewan McGregor's character, is the fact that he is the Black Mask. But we can get into that down the line. David, how's this movie start? This is me, Harleen Quinzel. When I was a kid, my dad traded me for a six-pack of beer. But however many times he tried to ditch me, I kept coming back. Well, we open with the narration of one Miss Harleen Quinzel, a.k.a. Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie. I was the brains behind some of Mr. J's greatest stunts. Not that he let anyone know it. I guess all good things have to come to an end. It is a mercifully short exposition dump about her recent breakup with the Joker and what she is doing with her newly single life, competing in roller derby, buying a hyena, and breaking legs. Harley decides to make her relationship status Gotham official by driving a tanker truck into the Ace chemical plant. We also get our first look at two other important characters, pickpocket Cassandra Cain, played by Ella J. Basco, and slimeball club owner Roman Sionis, Ewan McGregor. But we start, before we even get into this movie, you know, we see the, the Warner Brothers logo, and then we get the old DC title card, Mac, that classic DC title card. How depressing is this thing? Because it's like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Steel... Flash, I think that's it. Green Lantern. That's not steel. That's cyborg. But the fact. That... Oh, that's right. It is cyborg. <laughs> well, God bless cyborg. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> you're right. He, he's not been as as prominent a character in across media. More recently, yes, but like you know, traditionally as as uh, as the other characters. I am embarrassed. Shout out to Ray Fisher. My apologies to him. But like this whole thing plays like. The, the last song in, uh, in the Simpsons episode where they play softball and just all of the softball players are like, oh, well, he fell down a, a hole. He went sent, got sent to prison. Like that DC title card, that is depressing. Also, it's kind of weird because you're showing these characters like they show Aquaman. And I believe it's kind of like your, you know, traditional super friend style Aquaman with, you know, short blonde hair. And then the Aquaman in the movie is Jason Momoa. Uh, who does does not look like a uh, blonde Aquaman. He looks like Jason Momoa. 
Which, by the way, real quick, I like the Jace Momoa Aquaman. I don't care if anyone's keeping score. Uh, that dude's a good Aquaman. I didn't, I didn't think there was a good Aquaman until Jason Momoa came around. But yes, the animation here is fun. And I, you know, it's kind of like a little throwback to the fact that she came from animation. And so we get some animated opening. And David, there's a little, there's something interesting in this animated opening. When we see the Joker in the opening animation sequence, he does not look like the Jared Leto Joker, which, yes, this movie is definitely a sequel, or at least it comes after Suicide Squad. But I think it's kind of a hint that it's like, hey, look, we're trying to distance ourselves as much as we can from the Jared Leto Joker, but I do not think they did it enough. And by the way, David, one of the things from the Suicide Squad movies, no, excuse me, just Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad was the James Gunn one that I liked. But Suicide Squad, the David Ayer one, which, <laughs> God damn the DC. David Ayer doesn't want to call it a David Ayer one because, or is it Ayer? How would you say it? Ayer. Ayer. Because, he, you know, he, he claims that's not the Ayer cut of the film. And one of the things he said was all the music in, in Suicide Squad, he did not put there. Which when he said that, he immediately went up in my esteem. Because all the music in, the, in Suicide Squad is like very on the nose. And then this movie does not differ from that. We get some more just completely on the nose music cues. Like Harley Quinn gets thrown out from the Joker. He dumps her and she takes it really hard. And then what do we hear? I hate myself for loving you. Oh, okay. No subtlety for you, movie viewer. But as someone who was championing for a soundtrack or a movie with a soundtrack a few weeks ago, I like the soundtrack in this movie. It is very on the nose, but it plays very well for me. And it plays very well at uh, at the bar. So this is post-breakup. This is Harley Quinn, you know, kind of showing off her newfound independence, but also keeping it close to the vest because if people find out she's not dating the Joker anymore, then she's going to get killed or worse. And so she's at a bar, she's getting drunk, and she splashes some of her drink on this, on this kind of uh, stooge. And the stooge is like, hey, watch where you're spilling that drink, you dumb bitch. And so uh, he says, get off the table. So she gets off the table, all right. And so she jumps onto his legs, snapping them at the knees. Mac, we're only a few minutes in. I'm already at a markout moment. At this moment, I have not even warmed up to Harley Quinn. So I'm just like, stop, please, just ugh, just calm down or whatever. But yeah, it definitely, it's fun to watch uh, someone uh, deal with trash. But the thing is, is after this guy's knees get broken, here comes the owner of the club, Roman Sionis. Sionis? I already forgot. Sionis. Call him Roman. Or as Harley Quinn calls him, Romy. It's Ewan McGregor. He comes over and he's like, Harley Quinn, you just broke the knees of my driver, but you know what? I'll fire him anyway just for you. Hey, is your uh, is the Joker, your boyfriend the Joker, going to join us tonight? And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, okay. Okay, good. So David, the Joker, I guess, regularly comes to this club? Why is anyone else at this club? Right? Because the Joker, if I remember him from Suicide Squad, uh, he's a complete murdering psychopath, right? That will, will not hesitate to kill anyone. Just <laughs> This seems like a... A dude who you, uh, like a fun night out to hang with this guy? I would not doubt if this is just sort of a glorified employee lounge where it's all of Black Mask's goons, all of Joker's goons, just they're there to make it look populated. They're there to make it look like people are there. But yeah, God, no, no one wants to be there. They're, they're scratching for help at the windows. I mean, that would be one thing if this was kind of like the supervillain hangout, right? And I, I think that's kind of what they try to set up uh, Penguin's Bar to be in uh, the Batman, the Iceberg Lounge or whatever it's called. But in this thing, it just kind of looks like a, a popular club because here's the thing about Roman Sionis, David, is that to the outside world, he's just a, a, a rich dude, right? A powerful, you know, rich dude who just owns a lot of stuff. But David, he's also, uh, you know, vying to be the kingpin of crime, I guess, which uh, the outside world does not know that, which seems like they're not trying really hard if they don't know that. 
uh, I imagine people know who the Joker is, right? Yes, of course. So wouldn't you know who Harley Quinn is? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. As far as the guy who's, I see what you're saying. People get like real mouthy with the, who they think is the girlfriend of the Joker. It's like, guys, uh, watch one movie. I, 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 I beg of you. Joker is not someone to trifle with. But yeah, she decides she wants to break up with the Joker and she does it by blowing up the place where both she and the Joker were created, the Ace Chemical Factory, because we get a little flashback scene. I don't know if it's here or if it's uh, elsewhere in the movie, but it's a scene, I think, from Suicide Squad, footage from that movie of uh, Harley Harley Quinn, or at least, I guess at this point, Dr. Harleen Quinzel uh, diving into a vat of chemicals to turn her skin white and to make her mind crazy. But meanwhile, four minutes before the explosion, we check in on Detective Rene Montoya, played by Rosie Perez, investigating the murder of four mafia stooges. The culprit, a mysterious crossbow killer played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But no time for that now, it's the explosion again. Rene Montoya comes to another conclusion after finding Harley's discarded J necklace. Harley has just declared open season on herself. Yikes. Uh, this detective work, David, is baffling. She finds a J and she's like, the only person to wear a J necklace is Harley Quinn. And this J stands for Joker. And the fact that it's here means that she must have taken her off and uh, she broke up with the Joker. That's what and blew up the factory. What this means, this is Harley Quinn's fantabulous emancipation is what this is. David, the crazy thing is that she's a 100% right, spot on about everything. <laughs> but the fact that she knew this from just finding a J is uh, really bad writing. It's Adam West, Batman 66 style detective work. And like the Adam West Batman, it was, again, 100% accurate. 100% accurate, 100% economical. Because, yeah, we could have spent a good 10 minutes doing some sort of an investigation, you know, tracking down leads, that sort of thing. Just find the necklace. Oh, it says Harley Quinn was here. I guess Harley Quinn was here. Or, here's a crazy idea. Cut this whole scene. You don't need it. Well, hold on, David. Are we supposed to get from this scene that Montoya's like a good detective? That she's a, a Sherlock Holmes? Okay, that's one took over the line. I, I, I can't give you that. <laughs> Maybe. I, I think so. I think you're right. But uh, I'm not going to beat the movie there. Uh, but speaking of Montoya as this amazing detective, she's at this crime scene before the explosion happens. She's kind of at this nearby restaurant where some other stooges were hanging out. And she's doing sort of, the, you know, the ballistics on this crossbow killer who is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mac, I, I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead in this movie. I I'm happy that she's getting work and she's terrific throughout this movie. It it this is a very good introduction to her. And I I'm just going to stammer throughout the rest of this episode, saying nice things about her. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like she's got a really underrated range. Done a lot of uh, interesting projects as well. And so, yeah, I was excited to see her take an action turn in this. David, did you ever see the film Faults? No, I don't think I ever did. No, I never did. That is an interesting Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie. It's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was good, I think. I think it was good. I think I remember it being good. I will check it out. Yeah, maybe you should. I, I don't know. I don't know. But in a factory some days later, Roman and his faithful toady, Victor Zaz, played by Chris Messina, remove some people's faces in order to send a message to someone. Meanwhile, Detective Montoya tries arresting Harley when all Harley wanted was a breakfast sandwich. No time for that now. The word is out that Harley no longer has the Joker protecting her, so everyone is coming out of the woodwork with a score to settle. Everybody's having fun in this movie, kind of going back to what we're talking about with this cast. Ewan McGregor's having fun in this role. Uh, Rosie Perez is having fun in this role. Ewan McGregor, man, might be my sixth man of this episode because just some of the choices he makes, some of the flourishes he has to his performance, 
golly, I really, really love Ewan McGregor in this movie. Yeah, Ewan McGregor, I also had in my notes that he is having fun with this role. Because, yeah, he, he adds some little, like, vocal flourishes sometimes. That's a good way to put it. That really add a little bit of nuance to this character. And Black Mask in the comics, as far as I can remember, is your typical... He's just he's just evil. He's not necessarily, you know, crazy like uh, the Joker or the Riddler is or anything like that. I think you could have had a pretty forgettable sneering bad guy character in Black Mask. You know, Ewan McGregor at least made him interesting. You you said earlier, David, that everyone looks like they're having fun in their roles. And that is something that's kind of unique for these DC movies. Because the fact that you, you're watching these things like, oh, I feel like everyone wants to be here. Which is not always the fucking case. I think this movie could have benefited from an appearance of a Joker and a Batman. But good luck finding a Joker and a Batman who actually want to be in these movies. I don't know, man. It, it's hard. But it's another guy I want to give a shout out to, Chris Messina. You know, I, I said Mary Elizabeth Winstead has underrated range because she doesn't go from like, I'm very quiet to being like, you know, uh, the mask, somebody stop me or something like that. She manages to have a lot of versatility in her acting without necessarily like changing it up a lot physically or very sort of demonstrably or something like that. On the other side of the coin here, you have Chris Messina just fucking going for it as this psycho Zaz. But you know what? It works because I like Chris Messina. Underrated actor Chris Messina. It's the night and day. You know, we talked about uh, Doug Hutchison in Punisher Warzone. And it's like, oh, this creep is playing a creep, so I can't get behind this. But it's Chris Messina, this, you know, otherwise very good character actor in other, just a wide range of stuff. And he's having so much fun with being a creep when you know he's not actually a creep. It works for me. It's so fun. Let's talk about Rosie Perez and Detective Montoya. It, I kind of had like a little like, oh, wow moment when I was thinking about Rosie Perez. And I was thinking about the start of her career in like Do the Right Thing and White Man Can't Jump and how she's someone who kind of had a little bit of like Harley Quinn energy earlier in her career. And now I feel like, you know, her skills, I feel like have improved and she can kind of play anything now and i don't know if i have proof of this but for some reason i i just i saw rosie Perez. I'm like yeah yeah she could do it all the, the this detective montoya it's not really portrayed as like a cop who kind of has it together kind of like a little bit of a clown not a literal clown that's harley quinn uh, i'm not trying to trademark infringement but i mean do you feel like that's off base no not at all i think you know this movie paints in very broad strokes and so she is this not incompetent. She is probably the most competent detective in an incompetent world or in an incompetent system. Uh, but she also has her problems. You know, we'll get into it later. You know, the movie doesn't hit too hard. The note that she's a hard drinker, but we do get the sense that it has ruined relationships and it has jeopardized her career. Rosie Perez brings a humanity to the to this character that could have otherwise just been very flat. But uh, it, you know, it is a very flat animated series character. Even though I'm a big fan of superhero comics, I'm not precious about any of these characters. I might have been precious about Harley Quinn, but the first Suicide Squad movie cured me of that. Also, David, we are two dudes talking about uh, this movie. And so if you have a non-dude take, think that we didn't hit on the podcast, please send us a message, punchmount at gmail.com. And also, if you have a take about these characters, like Cassandra Kane uh, in this movie is kind of a pickpocket and not much else. And then I know in the comics that she was a version of Batgirl at some point. And I, I do wonder about uh, Detective Montoya. And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, listeners, I believe she's one of the first openly gay characters in the DC universe. And having a very capable character who is also a lesbian, I wonder if this character means more to people than it means to me. 
seeing her kind of Montoya going from, you know, someone that Batman could trust to being someone who's kind of like bumbling. I wonder if that bothered anybody. I, I do not have any sort of investment in the Montoya character besides just, uh, I mean, if you want to get real nerdy, I like when she became the question in uh, the uh, the new 50, wait, is that the new 52? I was like, uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, I, I just had that thought. Anyway. You know, I'll, I'll speak for other people on this one. I don't know if, I don't know if Montoya comes across that bumbling to other people. I think, okay. you know, we're looking at it through a critical lens and I think just from character development, it doesn't quite add up. But I think as far as an audience member, she plays great. Another confusing part of this movie is to the wider world of this movie, who is Harley Quinn? I, I must think that if if people know who Batman is, they must know who the Joker is, right? And do they know who Harley Quinn is? Because she seems to enjoy a relatively high level of anonymity. Yeah, it's there's an inconsistency here just because, you know, the the universe is trying to adjust to this person who has been completely lawless their entire life, but now having to impose some law on that, but not knowing, yeah, the movie doesn't quite know the parameters to to um to install. I, I guess I'm just also struggling here with who's Harley Quinn in terms of, okay, so this is someone who was an accessory to all these terrible crimes of the Jokers. But in her one-on-one interactions with people, people seem to like her. I'm just wondering, like, well, which one is Harley Quinn, right? Is Harley Quinn the person who's, like, okay with murder? Or is Harley Quinn the person who is, like, nice to uh, strangers? But David, some people recognize Harley Quinn, uh, including Detective Montoya, because as she's running away from Detective Montoya, she starts running away from everyone, because turns out everyone's got a grudge against old Harley, David. Uh, is this an action set piece? I think this is going to be a little bit of an action set piece. We're going to call this one Everyone versus Harley Quinn, because the word is out. Everyone's on the same group chat. Harley Quinn broke up with the Joker. It's open season on her. So now you've got people with big grudges, people with little grudges. There's a guy who shows up who had his uh, face tattooed uh, against his will, which is one of my nightmares, uh, being tattooed against your will. And so you've just got people chasing her. And, And I love this because I always love a movie with a Blues Brothers dynamic where it's just you know, this this person or these people minding their own business, but meanwhile, you've got hordes of different groups after them. I really like that. I also like that it's a little confusing because, you know, at the end of this, uh, Harley Quinn's going to get pinned on both sides by by two groups. Come to find out later, it's the same group just swarming in on her. But, like, this movie doesn't mind confusing you a little bit. Like, that's, it's playing up Harley Quinn as the unreliable narrator. She's going to jump back and forth in time and telling the story. She's going to correct herself. So the movie's playing with that, and it's okay that you're confused sometimes. It just really wants you to sit back and enjoy the movie for what it is. David, I think I actually just answered my own question as I was sitting here thinking about it. And the answer is that the reason why there seem to be two different Harley Quinns and no one seems to fear her is because that's the theme of the fucking movie, is that nobody views her as their own person. They just view her as Joker's girlfriend. And so the fact that Joker is not here and they think they could fuck with her, it's because that is all she is in the world's eyes, is that... You know, they don't view her as her own person. And one of the themes of this movie, I think, is pushing back against, you know, male control or the attempted male control of women. And so, yeah, I think there I think there you go, Mac, of three minutes ago. There's your, <laughs> there's your dumb answer. There's no, she gets no respect. You know, her want in this movie is just to be left alone. You know, she doesn't want to be fucked with. And so her growth is, well, I used to get that from being Joker's gal, and now I want to get that from being fearsome in my own right. So yeah, it's, it's you know, this movie's got layers back. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention up top is out of Batman's entire uh, rogues gallery, the only Batman bad guy I would be interested in seeing a solo movie of is Harley Quinn. I don't want to see a Raza Ghoul movie. I don't want to see a Scarecrow movie. 
I don't want to see a movie where Bane is the main character. I certainly don't want to see a movie where Joker's the fucking main character, uh, which is why I have not seen Academy Award winning movie Joker starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix. The other reason is because no one has paid me. I will tell you this. I will see that movie if someone pays me. I could go for like a cannonball run type movie with Killer Croc. Um, Who's the other character? Is Killer Croc the Dom DeLuise or is he the... Okay, David, tell you what. On the count of three, we'll say we'll both say who our the, uh, Burr Reynolds character is. Okay. Okay. One, two, two three... three. Mr. Freeze. Kite man. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to, I guess, the Gotham City Police Department station? Sure, yes. Where Montoya returns to the station stinking of garbage and gets hit with even more garbage from her no-good Captain Erickson, played by Stephen Williams, who refuses to investigate the Sionis family, even though they will soon be in possession of the very important Bertinelli Diamond. Montoya goes to say thanks for the help, no help, to the assistant DA slash ex-girlfriend, Ellen Yee, played by Ali Wong. Hey, it's Ali Wong from Always Be My Maybe. When Montoya gets a call informing her that Cassandra has the diamond and to protect her at all cost. Who should show up but Harley Quinn for an action set piece we'll call Fun Gun. David, who is Stephen Williams? I'm unfamiliar. Uh, he was Detective Fuller in 21 Jump Street, the TV show. He was also one of the uh, state troopers. In the Blues Brothers, he pulls over um, uh, the good old boys and says, boys, you're in big trouble. Ah, so we're seeing this guy's another cop. Sorry, David. A-C-A-B. Not interested. So Montoya comes back to the police station. She's covered in garbage because Harley Quinn, in a moment of just spontaneity, throws garbage at her and a bunch of other stuff happens. It was cool stuff. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. So Montoya comes to change and she says, hey, do we have anything in Lost and Found I can wear? So she puts on a shirt that says, uh, I shaved my balls for this. Here's the thing, Mac. This movie's violent. This movie's gross in its own way. It's got some, you know, face cutting off. The grossest thing in this whole movie is the idea of a police Lost and Found and wearing anything from it. And David, you're right. There are a couple of disgusting things in this movie. We should give a wuss warning too. The uh, I think the most graphic scene in this movie is a face gets partially cut off. If, you, if you're not into seeing that implied, at least, when you see a shot of three people being hung from their ankles, just turn away for a minute. And another was warning, Harley Quinn has a hyena, a pet hyena earlier in the, the movie. And if you're wondering if any harm happens to this hyena, no, the hyena is barely in this film. No danger to pets. There is a legit trigger warning, and we will get to that later in the movie. But David, I like the action in the set piece. It is a little confusing. And we'll get to what happened in a minute. Last time we saw Harley Quinn, she gets subdued by some thugs. And then now she's showing up dressed like a femme fatale, like, you know, (laughs) undercover. Like, excuse me, wearing like a giant, almost like a Kentucky Derby style hat. And then when she throws off her disguise, she's got this like uh, beanbag launcher, you know, glitter gun or whatever. It keeps shooting these like bombs, but the bombs are full of like streamers or glitter or like dust or something. I don't know. It's shot really well. And this is another example of, you know, the action being very like cartoony and Harley Quinn being like a cartoon character. So I, I thought this action sequence was a lot of fun. Me too. I, I, I did too. You know, what do we get out of shootouts anyway? Like we'll get a lot of like uh, paperwork flying around or we'll get some clocks knocked off the wall. So yeah, why not make it colorful? Why not throw in some glitter or some smoke? It looks fantastic. I really enjoyed it. But what is she doing there? Well, we'll you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But like we said, there's a little bit of exposition here between Montoya and Captain Erickson, where we're finding out about the Bertinelli diamond. It's the MacGuffin of the movie. It's got, uh, it's got some inscription on it. You know, it's got stuff etched into it. And those are going to be the, the bank accounts where millions and millions of, of mob dollars are being stored. 
And we find out that if Roman gets the diamond, he'll have enough money to bribe everyone. He'll own the courts. He'll own the politicians. Mac, my question for you. Uh, my understanding is Bruce Wayne is a wealthy person. Did he ever try anything like this? Don't, don't do this, David. Don't do this. I'm not I'm not trying to be that person with Batman, <laughs> but like. Why doesn't Bruce Wayne use his millions of dollars to just <laughs> help fund the police department and be a philanthropist and not necessarily dress like Batman? Well, David, if you want to write, uh, want to read and write a comic book called the the Adventures of Bribe Man, uh, go ahead uh, and let me know how many copies that sells. God, that's I uh, that fucking take. Uh, of course, people think they're so clever when they're like, you know, Bruce Wayne could actually do more with his millions. And not, not this is not. I'm not doing an impression of you, David. You were not asking this. Mm-hmm. But no, the thing is, is Bruce Wayne's moral code will not let him bribe people. The the most he can give them is uh, as Batman is a bribe, which is. I will all stop punching you if you do what I say. It's just like the most no fun thing in the world. You For know, sure. Batman, had, there's that quote from Frank Miller. I'm going to mess it up. But it's something where it's like there's 38 takes on Batman and they all work. And there is even that take on Batman. It's called Batman the White Knight. And it's basically like everyone's argument that like Batman does more harm than good. You have you now have a comic book. It is that exactly. And it's like Batman doesn't really, it's not a really good response to mental illness. Yes, there you go. Here's your comic. There it is. It's actually well done. The art's amazing. I'm not interested, really. It doesn't mean it's not great. You know what I mean? I, I read it and I was like, that was very well done. And I threw it into a fire. No, I didn't throw it into a fire. Like, again, the art on that thing is amazing. And it's all done. A uh, guy who wrote it also drew it, Sean Murphy, I believe. Anyway, I'm, I'm off. That's, that's the end of comic book talk for the next two seconds. So for for those of you playing at home, that's another entry for the big book of nerves Mac has. Yeah. Bad Batman takes is definitely... Look, you won't have to find it. I'll tell you the other nerve. Would people think that Joker is the hero of the movie Dark Knight? I just, I, <laughs> that shouldn't be a statement that makes anyone upset. Like, for some reason, I hear that and I'm like, you, you listen here. Like, I just, I don't know what my problem is. But that, for some reason, I just, I cannot abide. The dude does not abide that. I might need to start rolling some pennies and quarters. I might need to get you to watch Joker. No, no, David. Don't do that to me. So let's flash back to the beginning of this movie and meet Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary, played by Journey Smollett. She's the singer at Roman's Bar and is getting promoted to the job of Roman's driver, thanks to a display of her ass-kicking skills while saving Harley from some creepo in the alley. Dinah's new job also attracts the attention of Montoya, who was using the last driver as a mole for information into Roman's operation and would like the same courtesy now from Dinah. Thank you very much in advance. I was very happy to see that Journey Smollett was part of this cast. I thought she did a great job in Lovecraft Country, a show that got canceled way too soon. I don't know if her character got as much screen story as she deserved, but I did, when when she was on screen, I enjoyed it. I think as far as her hero arc, or you know, as far as the payoff of her eventual powers, I think hers was the flimsiest storyline of yeah. the Birds of Prey, but you know, I thought she was still, you know, like you said, she's she's very engaging. I enjoyed watching her. I enjoyed her handling the part. I thought she was cool. Kind of filling in the blanks for the movie or, or for the for the universe, for the Batman DC universe. Montoya comes to talk to uh, to talk to Dinah and try to convince her to be a mole, and she intimates that her mom had the same sort of role. You know, she was very helpful back in the day to the Gotham police. So I got the sense, and maybe you could fill in the blanks for me, Mac, like, uh, was Dinah's mom the original Black Canary? And so is this like Black Canary 2? Hmm. You know what? I do not know. I know that DC is big on legacy heroes. Like, you definitely get a lot of, like, sons and daughters following in their parents' footsteps. And you, you know, there's like, what, like three different generations of Green Lantern, et cetera. 
but I, I do not know much about Black Canary. But Black Canary, she's got some powers here, David. She's not just uh, good at fighting like the rest of the birds of prey. And we we see this because when she's singing, her voice you know shatters a glass. But you're right; it, it was such a small moment that I didn't even think about it. And then later on, when she shows up, that she's got uh, actual sort of like sonic powers. I was like, oh right. Because the movie did not really try that hard to establish it. Well, not only did it not try hard to establish it, it sort of betrayed it because we see, you know, we're introduced to Black Canary. She's singing at the club and she hits this one note and she shatters Roman's martini glass, specifically Roman's martini glass. Like, I have to imagine there's other glassware in this bar. Like, I think it would have meant more to me, or I think it would have meant more to the audience to either see all the glasses shatter or to like see her pull back because she knows the glasses will shatter, like some indication that there's more than meets the eye with Black Canary. While Black Canary is at the club, she has a little encounter with Harley Quinn. Uh, they don't really, you know, hit it off. And Harley Quinn, she's partying all night. And some dude starts hitting on her. And then that dude ends up being a creep because, well, Harley Quinn, I guess, parties too hard. Or, you know, for all we know, she might have been slipped something. The next morning... We see Harley Quinn being loaded into that dude's van. And the insinuation here is that they're going to take her into that van to like sex traffic her. So basically she's getting like kidnapped for uh, human trafficking here. And then, yeah, when they're loading her in the car, like, isn't this Joker's girl? And it's like, hey, don't worry about him. He's out of the picture. The fact that people have underestimated Harley Quinn is is kind of baffling. Just because like, even if they didn't think much of this person and they're giving all credit to this one psycho, she's still a psycho, right? Don't we know this? Isn't she famous? Yeah, the more you hit that note, the more I'm realizing it. It's like, yeah, it is kind of insulting. It's like, hey, take me seriously as a person. Like, I have killed people myself. You could, you could be scared of me. Now, David, this uh, morning scene, just the the background here. I'll tell you what it does not feel like, and that's uh, Gotham City. In in other media, Gotham City has definitely had a very like distinct look, Art Deco but out of control kind of look. You know, in the Tim Burton films, and then that kind of persisted a more subdued version in the animated series. but it, And then in the recent The Batman movie, dark, kind of like meat grinder metropolis. And then in the Chris Nolan movies, it's fucking Chicago for some reason I never really understood. <laughs> but this Gotham City, it's kind of all over the map a little bit, no pun intended. There's a lot of shots that feel like they could be any city USA or even any city Canada. I don't know where this movie was filmed. It might have been in Toronto. Who, who knows? But then there's some parts later that, I mean, like the beginning with the Ace Chemical Plant, and then at the end, we're going to see a fun house. I know I'm veering dangerously close to the cliche of like, you know, there's another character here, David, the city itself. I, I think this movie, obviously, from it, you look at its box office, its critical reception, I do feel like it's underrated. And I do feel like the director, Kathy Yen, did a good job. For some reason, that doesn't feel like Gotham City to me, or even a version of Gotham City. I'm with you. There's an inconsistency there. And I think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more it feels like they saved the Gotham elements for the elements that had the most money behind them. Like you said, the big set piece with the amusement park at the end, you know, even the the pier, uh, the way that's set up. The rest of it kind of, and especially like, you know, in the in the set piece we had before where they're chasing Harley Quinn and she's kind of running through, it almost feels like a bazaar, like, you know, sort of a like a street festival. And it's colorful and it's fun and it's vibrant, but that is, you're absolutely right. That's not the, the sense that I get when I talk about Gotham City. But man, if you want to make a Gotham City that's fun and vibrant, like that's a new take. Let's, I'd, I'd watch that. Sure, let's check it out. But then- Later on, when you cut back to this kind of uh, like nightmare architecture look. So every rival faction is falling in line, but Roman's plans of Gotham domination are thwarted when Cassandra picks Zaz's pocket and steals the Bertinelli diamond. 
Zaz breaks the bad news to Roman, but then breaks the good news that they've captured Harley. You remember that scene we cut away from earlier? We're back now. Thankfully, Harley overhears that Roman has lost the Bertinelli diamond, and Harley offers to find it. Yeah, because they're just about to kill Harley Quinn, and she's like, hey, hey, whoa, I can help you find something. I can help you find the diamond. And he's like, you better. You better get to that police station and have an action set piece we'll call Fun Gun, which, yeah, we already talked about. So I mentioned earlier Cassandra Kane in the comic books is someone who could become Batgirl. I do not get the sense from this portrayal of Cassandra Kane that she's going to become Batgirl. But here's the other thing, too, is that I believe Ella Baska was 14 years old when this movie was filmed. And so a 14-year-old character who has pickpocket skills, you know, using that as a starting point to become Batgirl, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Let's see that happen or something. But the other thing, though, is is a 14-year-old kid, and I really don't feel like trying to pick apart their performance. But I will say that Alabasco does a good job making this character uh, seem very likable. Yeah, she's a really great audience surrogate. You know, she's just kind of watching Harley Quinn and this world around her and just, and taking it all in with, with, you know, there's that balance of awe and amazement, but she's also trying to be too cool. She's trying to be a pickpocket, a tough kid from the streets, but at the same time, like, oh my God, I get to be with Harley Quinn. It, it's a tough role, especially for a younger kid. And I think she does okay with it. Yeah, acting against, you know, what, Margot Robbie, that's not an easy thing to do. So yeah, hats off to you, Alabasco. And here we go again. We've got some more really great Ewan McGregor work. He's showing off his his apartment. He, you know, he's got this shrunken head collection. He talks about his love of, uh, of masks and, and, you know, and artifacts. Um, and then he's told that the diamond goes missing and he just throws this tantrum like, I really love it when when bad guys just throw tantrums, like just really kind of kid out and ball. Uh, he like he even says, like, why is this happening to me? Oh, poor you. You're, the diamond you were going to steal or abscond with has gotten stolen. Like, I, I, I love these choices. When he's showing Black Canary his, his mask collection and he just sort of sums it up like, you know, isn't that neat? This meant something to someone thousands of years ago, and now it's just in my living room. It's like a thing. Ewan's doing a great job. This is going to be some more appreciation for Zaz. This is, he's really starting to be, really starting to settle into the creep role. I don't really have a, a, enough to elaborate on with that, but just, you know, more credit for Zaz. Hey, because it doesn't matter at all. I just want to give a shout out to Batman artist Norm Bravefogel, who uh, passed away uh, a while ago. But the way he would draw Zaz, he would kind of give him these, like, kind of just like his eyes would be like little black triangles kind of weird thing. I don't know, but he always made him look really creepy. Uh, so I always appreciated that. But when Roman is interrogating Harley Quinn, he keeps punching her in the head. And at some point he knocks her to where she has like a, um, I don't know what you call it, like a, a delirium. Uh, and it ends up being like a dance sequence to kind of like a, a funked up version of Diamonds or a Girl's Best Friend. Do you have any thoughts on this dance sequence, David? I think this was something that was pitched in the meeting and they had to make it. I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Like, I get it. You know, I get she gets hit so hard that she sort of travels to a dream state, but it's a little too weird. It's a little too, like, the quick cuts and then, you know, but it was fun. You know, it, w it wasn't not fun. Yeah, it was fun. I kind of wish it was somewhere where it seemed like it fit and not somewhere where it seemed like it was forced. But do I enjoy uh, Ewan McGregor uh, hitting Harley Quinn? No, I don't. I don't need a reminder that he's a bad guy. I saw him volunteers some people's faces to be skinned right i, I don't i don't need any more evidence but it, it's funny because she's kind of like going blah 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 and roman hits her and he's like you are so tiresome and i don't approve of the slap but it, it felt like a honest reaction to harley quinn because yeah she gets on your fucking nerves sometimes i mean would i ever want to hit her oh of course not so it was a weird mixture of like 
I agree with that sentiment, but not that slap. Like, uh, it was uh, a mixed emotion. But it is also, you know, going back to like that sort of tantrum energy of a bad guy. You know, if you're a bad guy in one of these movies, you could slap a lady around for no good reason at all. So for his reason to be that she's talking more than him and taking away his his moment, like that's that's great for me. Oh, yeah. You know what? That, that does fit his narcissism. The way that uh, Jenna on 30 Rock didn't like babies because they took attention away from her. <laughs> Roma doesn't like Harley Quinn. But David, they're still talking about the Joker here. Fucking stop! Here's my pitch for Joker 2, uh, La Fou de Mou, or whatever it's fucking called. Opening scene, Joker dies. Scene 2, here comes Lady Gaga and does whatever she wants for the rest of the movie. I would pay to see that. So anyway, we cut back to present day. Remember Harley shooting at the police station? Well, we're back. Because she's doing it with smoke and glitter and tactical beanbags. She breaks Cassandra out of jail, but accidentally releases all the grudge-holding crooks from their cells. It's an action set piece we'll call Throwdown at the lockup. As if that wasn't bad enough, Roman has offered a $500,000 reward to the first person who brings Cassandra to him. Harley also finds out what it's going to take to get back that diamond. What is it going to take to get back that diamond, David? Well, Mac, it involves sliding into first, I'm afraid. Uh, she, uh, Cassandra swallowed that diamond, and so now they're going to have to pass it. Sliding into first? You mean in your pants are about to burst? I'm afraid so, my friend. Diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. Oh, no. You know, I was playing baseball the other day. I rounded second head to third, and I was about to blow a turd, David. And then, David, the worst thing happened. Oh, no. I guess my team got another hit. <laughs> and <laughs> I was able to go home. But, David, I have, I have terrible news for you. Please break it to me. <laughs> My pants were unfortunately full of foam. But David, this action set piece is like a two-parter because first all the bad guys get out of their jail cells because when Harley Quinn is trying to get in, she's like mashing all these buttons, including she sets off the sprinklers. And as she's walking to Cassandra's cell, all the bad guys are like, I'm in here because of you, which when did this happen? I don't know, but I guess it did. When they get out of their cells, my only problem here is that there's a little look on Margot Robbie's face. All the jail cells open, all the bad guys are, are headed towards her. Another bad guy. For a second, she just kind of looks uncomfortable. David Harley Quinn, she's got the skills to pay the bills and also cost some thrills, right? She easily beats the shit out of all these dudes. And for some reason, that like look of discomfort on her face, it's not, it's for some reason, it's not what I wanted when I'm about to see someone kick ass. The thing with Margot Robbie, David, is she's a good fucking actor. So when she shows discomfort on screen, I feel uncomfortable too. I'm a puppet. And so at first I was like, oh no, is she going to be okay? And then she was fine. The water ended up, now, okay. The sprinklers, the amount of water they poured in this room, maybe it was a ridiculous amount, but I think they did a good job, you know, using the water to kind of accentuate the action. It was shot well. It was fun. Uh, you get enough physicality from Harley Quinn. There didn't feel like any sort of weird CGI wire work here or something like that. I liked it. Me too. It's it's in the same spirit as the shootout in the in the precinct, where look, we've done this to death. We've done this a million times in other movies. Let's just add some little flourishes, some little elements to it to make it visually exciting or to give it you know an extra little oomph when you're watching it. This was fun, especially you know you figure we're in the middle of the second act and we get this jail chunk and then the chunk after this. This is a fun action. You know, this is fun action for the middle of the movie, especially for a movie. That's light on bigger pieces. It has action throughout. Yeah. And part two of Thrown in at the Lockup is Thrown in in the Locker because she Harley Quinn goes to the evidence locker and she encounters more bad guys there and has another fight. Does she have her hammer in this too? Or no, she she picks up her baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. she starts uh, baseball batting goons. And again, this action was fun. 
Particularly one moment here I thought was real good, David. Yeah, so they're going to be in the evidence room, the evidence garage, and she is going to take shelter behind this pallet, this giant pallet of cocaine. And the bad guys are going to shoot at it, and it's going to unleash all this cocaine, so she's going to decide to just take one big snort (laughs) and get amped up and go on a bat fight to the tune of Black Betty. Mac, this is going to be a mark out moment for me. This is a heck of a lot of fun. I also marked out here, I, I wrote down in my notes, very funny. Yeah, taking shelter in this cloud of cocaine dust. And, you know, she like snorts it in and like, mm, it gives a little smile. It was like the funniest <laughs> little kind of like, you know, Popeye spinach scene. Now, again, Black Betty, which is also used very prominently in the movie Blow, felt like another on the nose musical cue. That was not why I marked out, but it was a nice little fun touch to that action sequence. It's charming too. I mean, because that's the kind of thing this movie is going for. It's a little bit Deadpool esque. I mean, you could even say that. Deadpool being more like a cartoon character was a choice of that movie, whereas Harley Quinn was a fucking cartoon character prior to you popping up Deadpool. So, I mean, who's to say maybe someone's ripping off somebody else? I don't know. I like this scene, and I definitely marked out. Yeah, Black Betty played perfectly for me. Like, I didn't mark out at first when the song started, but as it goes on, as she's beating people up with this bat, and then finally she breaks this guy, both this guy's legs with the bat, by that point, I'm just like, okay, you, you've earned the mark out moment for me. This is, this is really great. The only confusing part of this for me, and again, I'm dealing with my own expectations here, is that this is taking place in a police station of Gotham City. This is the Gotham City police, who in theory are used to dealing with some pretty heinous super crooks. And the fact that when like these bad guys enter the police station and they meet up with Harley Quinn and the evidence locker, there doesn't seem to be a single fucking cop around. These Gotham City police officers fucking suck. Like they're just, you know, they're like uh, Star Trek red shirts. Like they just are easily, so easily dealt with. It's not hard to get rid of them at all. It just is uh, surprising. I mean, if I was Batman, I wouldn't give my money to these clowns uh, because they suck. (laughs) We need more Batman. We don't need more cops. It's the police and hard target. They're just there when they want to be there, but mostly they're they're away. So Harley's going to stash Cassandra at her place, which is above Doc's place, which is a Taiwanese restaurant. Doc is cool because he keeps his mouth shut. Let's hope he's cool for other reasons, too. Meanwhile, Zaz informs Roman that they don't have the diamond and Roman throws a fit. We also learn more about the crossbow killer, a.k.a. Helena Bertinelli, a.k.a. Huntress. David, when Cassandra is talking to Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn is again talking about her ex-boyfriend, which, look, as mad as I am about this movie, it won't shut up about the Joker. How many times have you been hanging out with someone who won't shut the fuck up about their ex? It tracks. I just wish it would be over it. Uh, But on the other hand, Mac, more Huntress, more Huntress talk. This is where we get the backstory into who she was. She was uh, the mafia princess. She was the daughter of the Bertinelli crime family. She watched them all get gunned down in front of her. And so we get the story of how how Helena Bertinelli was taken to Sicily and trained by assassins. And so she gets her revenge. This is awesome. I love this so much. This movie keeps going back to the scene where the Galanti crime family guns down the Bertinelli family. That is how the diamond became out in the open. And now we get a different perspective on it that one of the Bertinelli's was the Huntress and she did survive. And this origin story, especially her being trained by assassins, I didn't know what to make of it, but it was over so fast. Like they just were like, here's my origin, here I am. That I was like, yeah, all right, that that works for me. You know, it's like, oh, she just happened to be uh, trained by a family full of assassins. Well, you just happened to be watching this movie. Shut up. I'm on board. I was on board. (laughs) Yeah, no, completely on board. This movie does a really good job. And I think a lot of it, is due to playing with the timeline and, and going back and forth and, and sort of changing your perspective on things where they are able to introduce four characters we have not met before. We're just meeting them now in this movie. 
and to just give you enough of them to where you want to follow them. I, I think this movie does a really good job with that. And then we get a scene here, which probably legitimately may have a trigger warning for some people. Because Roman throws a fit in his club, and he looks over, and somebody in his casual nightclub starts laughing. And he's like, is that person laughing at me? Because he just cannot sustain any ego blow. He's got the thinnest skin in the world. And it's this woman named Erica. And he knows her. He's like, Erica, are you laughing at me? And she's like, no, I was just, Roman, you have to hear this. This guy is being so funny. And then he commands that Erica shut up. He orders her to stand on the table. He's like, your dress is hideous. And he's like, you know, he wants the dress off her. He doesn't even allow her to dress to take it off. He gives a knife to someone else at her table and he commands that her clothes be knifed off. You know, in a movie where people are getting their faces ripped off, this is legit the scariest scene in the movie. It's definitely like a man assaulting and controlling another woman. It's happening in public. It's another example, sort of like a man getting away with things because he has he's in a position of, of perceived power. The, the scene ends, thank God, but we were teetering so close on the edge of like a Nicholas Winding Refn movie that I just, I wrote down in my notes, what is the fucking tone of this film? I didn't, what did you make of this, David? This is a very well done scene. I just don't think it belongs in this movie because this, Kathy Ann and the movie does a really good job of making this scene not exploitative, not titillating. In fact, if anything, it's kind of, it's just embarrassing. Like even the reaction shot, you know, you, you cut to Black Canary. She's got a tear rolling down her cheek because she, you know, she's stuck in this room with this guy. You can feel the energy getting sucked out of the room. And that's kind of what it does for this movie. It's like, hey, we're having a good time. Here comes this jackass to ruin it. So like, it's very effective in that way, but I don't want that in my fun time movie. I just want a fun time. Yeah, I agree. I think it was effective and it was it was well done. And you're right. I mean, because the writer and director were both women, I trusted the scene to be more impactful than feeling like it was exploiting anyone. But at the same time, it didn't I don't feel like it fit. Kind of going back to like, wait, what is the tone here? Is this a fun, like an R-rated mask? Or is this, I'm not going to say irreversible, but like it's just, I don't know what to make of this. It definitely caught my attention. I'm suddenly like watching this thing and I'm just like, uh, I, I fucking hate this. Like, you know, not hating it as a story, but just hating the experience of experiencing it. But again, I don't know if this feels very fantabulous, David. But again, you know, knowing that narcissism drives every one of Ewan McGregor's decisions as an actor, this is this falls in line with that. He He is a character who embarrasses easily. He does not want to be laughed at. He perceives that he's being laughed at. And he's going to react in ridiculous ways. Like, again, I'm just, I'm, re I'm hammering home the point again. This doesn't feel at home in this movie, but it's really well done. When Harley Quinn comes out of her dance sequence delirium and Ewan McGregor says something like, I'm going to rip off your face and pickle it or something. And Harley Quinn, you hear a little bit of her narration. She's like, call me old fashioned, but I thought the guy was supposed to get the diamond for the girl or Goyle or whatever she says. It just felt weird to like watch a woman get beat up by a dude who has her captive and then immediately make some weird joke. It kind of reminded me of a very similar Margot Robbie movie, uh, I, Tonya. I <laughs> Sorry, I, Tonya. I I couldn't stop calling it Itonia around the house for some like, hey, you want to go see Itonia? Like, I don't Because in, in that movie, I feel like that movie had a huge tone problem. You know, it's like lighthearted and we're kind of talking, uh, breaking the fourth wall. And then her husband starts beating her in the movie. And then we still maintain that light tone. And I'm like, I don't, what are we doing here, guys? And maybe it's just a personal thing. Domestic abuse doesn't feel lighthearted to me. No, you're not wrong. I was thinking about this and, you know, this was probably going to come up in conversation later, but I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. 
this script in a lot of ways reminds me of a Shane Black script. It just plays a lot of ways that a Shane Black script would. And a, and one of those ways is just, uh, well, you know, thinking about like the long kiss goodnight where it didn't mind beating up Gina Davis because it was trying to build her up as someone who could, you know, exact the revenge in the third act. So this feels like that where this movie kind of doesn't mind slapping Harley Quinn around because they know that she is going to overcome in the end. I, I get it. it. It is one of the more troublesome elements of the script, but I, I it works for me. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that element to Harley Quinn that she is a little bit of a diehard. Like, she's hard to kill, and she's a, a survivor. I mean, that's got to be true because she survived the Joker. But David, things are not going well for our group. That's right, Mac. Montoya is suspended for being a loose cannon and has to turn in her gun and badge. Zaz finds out that Dinah is a rat to Montoya and the cops. And the formerly cool Doc isn't so cool after all when he snitches on Harley the first chance he gets. This teaches Harley a lesson. Business is business. So she calls Roman to broker a deal. Cassandra and the Diamond for her immunity from the Gotham underworld. So Doc's a real piece of shit, Mac. Yeah, when you meet Doc, Harley Quinn's like, he's the one guy I can trust. (laughs) Almost like winking at the camera that he's going to betray her. But he says he ratted her out. But I guess only like two bad guys, because that's kind of who shows up, and there don't seem to be more on the way. Here's the thing. So he's like, oh, they offered me a lot of money. I'm going to go open up a new restaurant on the north side. And it's like, buddy, they didn't offer you that much money then if you're going back to work tomorrow. <laughs> but when Harley Quinn tracks him down, she doesn't have to track him down because he's outside of Doc's place, like slowly <laughs> loading up his car. And she's like, hey, did you fucking snitch me out to the bad guys? He's like, yes, I did. And it's like, you, my man. The fact that she did not immediately kill him, I would have bet all the money in the world that that was going to happen. I have betrayed you, psycho criminal. And the psycho criminal was like, you have taught me a lesson here today. Like, it just, I was like, whoa, (laughs) did not see that coming. And how do I know that uh, he taught her a lesson? Because in that moment, Harley Quinn is like, you know what? I can't trust anyone. I'm going to go ahead and turn in Cassandra Kane because she's probably just going to betray me too. Like, that's how deep Harley Quinn was hurt by this. And the reason I know this, David, is because Margot Robbie's a good fucking actor. That's the part of the problem with this movie is that every time I'm one of like, I'm like, oh, am I falling on uh, off board of this thing? You know, Robbie's got the skills, right? Like, there's just like a look on her face. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't expect to see this deep emotion uh, from this uh, murder jester. But uh, yeah, it is grating as I find Harley Quinn sometimes. One uh, one thing I do get is uh, Margot Robbie's really good in the role because she's good. But Mac gets a showdown at the amusement mile. Harley duct tapes Cassandra to a toilet and has to fight off a drunken Montoya. But then Zaz appears and shoots Harley with a trank. But then thankfully Huntress appears and shoots Zaz with a dart. With the gang of misfits all together and an army of Roman subjects approaching, it's time for the gals to gear up and prepare for battle. David, on behalf of Huntress, it's not a dart, okay? Crossbows fire bolts is what they're called. She's not 12. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So Zaz real quick hits Harley Quinn with his, his uh, tranquilizer dart that must have just been like Tranky Jr. Because she recovers real quick. But anyway, how does this scene start? <laughs> the section start? The section starts, you know, they're all going to meet up at Amusement Mile. So Harley Quinn gets there first and she's getting ready. And she gets ready by taping Cass to a toilet because she's still got to pass that diamond. And I did not care for this. This is probably my least favorite part of the movie. Just the idea of like. All right, let's let's get your shorts around your ankles and tape you to a toilet. Like I have to imagine, I don't have to imagine, but certainly this is someone's kink. This whole plot point is is really overlooked. I feel like if I swallowed a diamond and have to shit it out, 
I'd also be shitting on my intestines that were shredded by that diamond, right? I mean, the fact that she swallowed this uh, is, you know, something where like you you need to be tested for some mutant DNA. The fact that your your throat can there might be pincers inside her throat is what I'm trying to say. But this amusement park, this feels like sort of classic Gotham City because the amusement mile is, of course, terrifying. Whatever snow cone factory that Mr. Freeze was in, it's like, that's kind of what this amusement mile funhouse is as well. And here we get another kind of on the nose song. It's a slowed down version of Hit Me With Your Best Shot. But it, this one worked for me. I just want to say that even sometimes they're on the nose, sometimes it's not bad. None of this is bad. I like that soundtrack quite a bit. I, I was a sucker for it every step of the way. Well, David, I'm glad you mentioned it because the soundtrack is actually award-winning. Look, I never, I never go into a movie without extensive research. I, you know, by that I mean reading the Wikipedia five minutes before we record. David, you'd be interested to know that this movie's soundtrack took home top soundtrack at the 2020 American Music Awards. Hell yeah. Good job. The soundtrack was also nominated for Best Soundtrack by the St. Louis Film Critics Association. So there you go. But this is, you know, this is where we're getting everybody together uh, before the big final battle. You know, Huntress shows up. She takes out Zaz, who, by the way, shows up first, takes out Harley Quinn. And really, one last good creep move before we say goodbye to him. He, he tranks Harley Quinn and he starts like intimating that he could do any number of things with her. He doesn't go that far, but like kudos to him. His creep role in this is really great. And then Huntress shows up and takes him out. And yeah, while Harley Quinn is incapacitated, Zaz reaches over and grabs her mouth and like makes her talk or whatever. So just just in case you uh, you didn't think that uh, Zaz was part of a smashable patriarchy, even though he's a murderer. Oh, he still is. Oh, he signed his permission slip earlier in this movie. He's He's ready to go. That is true. But now, David, you're right. We have 30 minutes left in this film, but look, we got everyone together. Finally, all the BOP uh, are in the same room, and now we're, uh, we're, we're going to start cooking. Yeah, it's impressive that they got everybody in the room at the same time with different motivations. Like, they all have their own reasons to be there, and they're all, they all end up there. Huntress is, again, going to be my favorite, where she just sort of shows up in the middle of the action, takes out Zaz, and then she's like, all right, I'm done. I said I was going to take out four people. I took out four people. Peace out, everybody. And like, she doesn't quite get away with it, but I, I love the enthusiasm from her. Because we return once again to the scene where the Bertinelli family gets gunned down. And here we get yet another perspective of it. Because last time it was revealed that the Huntress was there. And now we discover that Zaz was there. He was one of the gunmen. Making her family do the machine gun shimmy straight to hell. Because let's be honest, they're still a crime family. And so yes, Huntress, now that she's killed Zaz, is about to take off. And then Montoya's like, you can't take off. Sionis, Roman, he was working for the Galanti family. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. Does this track age-wise? And Ewan McGregor, I think, is 13 years older than Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And so, which not the characters are necessarily the age of the actors that play them. Sure. But I was like, okay, if she was a teenager, if Huntress was a teenager when this massacre happened, uh, Roman is 13 years older, then yeah, he... He could have been involved, but I just, I found that a little hard to believe that at that moment, he was on par with Galanti to like scheme with him to murder. Them. I don't know. That did not completely track for me. But I will say this. Everyone in that room looks cool, man. 
Uh, Black Canary looks cool. Huntress looks cool. Harley Quinn, everyone's cool. I'm cool with all of them, too. I'm ready to see them do cool stuff. So let's go to this one big action set piece. This is going to be called Fun House of Hell. Roman, now Black Mask for some reason, gives one last motivational speech to his army of goons before they invade the park and go after our team of heroes. Harley and the gang make quick work of the goons and we're headed for the exits when Montoya gets shot in the gut. No! Cassandra is abducted by Roman, more goons are closing in, and the gang is running out of ammo. Time for Harley to go after Cassandra, and time for Black Canary to clear a path. So finally, some Black Canary action here. Yes, but first we get a kind of a little bit of a men's rights uh, speech here from Black Mask, who now suddenly is into masks. How suddenly is he into masks? That when he assembles all the goons to go kill everyone, the, uh, the, he makes them wear masks. And now, so everyone wants to go their separate ways. But Harley Quinn gives a little speech as to why they should all stick together. Do you know what that means? That means he's not just after the kid anymore. He's after all of us. Sure as hell after me. I just robbed him. You just betrayed him. You just killed his BFF. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths and let Roman go finger fishing in the kid's intestinal tract, we're going to have to work together. So there you go, David. It's the baddies versus the mostly goodies. And it is time for some fucking fighting. So the bad guys are coming. They're getting ready to attack the amusement mile. They're invading the little uh, house that uh, the birds of prey have taken over. So they've got to make an exit for it. And they find this little trap door. And it's got a slide that leads to another part of the the amusement area. And this is really fun because uh, Huntress goes down the slide. And she decides, you know what? I'm going to wait here for the bad guys to slide down. And then I'm going to jump on them and stab them to death. The birds of prey are waiting at the bottom and they tell her, you're so cool. And I agree, Mac. She is so fucking cool. We've established on this podcast that we are big fans of when you ride your opponent like a sled, as in the movie Cliffhanger. So yes, when Huntress rode the bad guy down as if he was a sleigh or sled, I definitely approved. 100% no notes. <laughs> but David, this Funhouse fight set, it's unlike any Funhouse you've ever seen in your life. A lot of it doesn't make any sense. And it could be, this same set would be right at home in one of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. And I don't think that's a good thing. It's definitely a lot more colorful than the Schumacher movies. And I think it looks great. There's just a couple things in here which didn't make any fucking sense to me. There's one part where Huntress is bouncing on top of some bouncy tongues. And below these bouncy tongues is a ball pit. No way, that's not right. It's an empty ball pit. No way, that's not right. It's just bare floor. So I don't understand who would, what is this? Yeah. It's like if American Ninja Warrior took place over like bare cement, like (laughs) if you fall, you seriously get hurt. It just, uh, it uh, felt, it felt like a set, David. You can't think too much about it. This this is one of those things where like the, the crew walks back and forth with the pane of glass right before the car chase. It's just one of those things. It's like, all right, they're setting it up to use it that I'm just going to have to let them do it. There are a bunch of trampolines though. And Harley Quinn is using them to fight. And I thought her trampoline fighting was so much fun because she's got her giant hammer out. She's hammering dudes. I was definitely on board for that. I wrote down in my notes. Very cool. I think this whole thing is fun and well-made. I think, you know, when you get Hearts Barracuda kicking in and then you get the baddies coming in, you go from that to the house of mirrors, you go from that to the bouncy fight. This is all super fun. Um, This is going to have a markout moment for me. Uh, you were talking about the aforementioned tongue bouncers. The bad guys, you know, they're, they're, they're making their way towards Huntress. They're bouncing up and down on these tongues. They're like, what are you going to do? We're, we're going to parkour on you. 
And she just gives him a look like, are you guys sure? Like, I'm Huntress and I'm going to kill all of you. It was such a winning look. It was it was so fun and awesome. I marked out. I thought it was so cool. Now, Harley Quinn's fighting is pretty cool. But the other fighting, for the most part, just tends to be like one-on-one kind of punching. And this movie, I feel like I could tell I was just about to get bored. And then it kicked into overdrive. The way it did that is they started having everyone fighting together. And then you see like someone punching a bad guy and then kind of handing him off to another bird of prey. Now they're like working as a team. The camera's just swinging around all over the place. Really fluid, really cool shot. And there's some really cool moments in here too where they're working together and not just fighting. At some point, Harley Quinn hands Black Canary a hair tie so she can get the hair out of her face, which I loved. I thought that was great. I loved it so much. It's it's a little touch like that where, you know, because I, I noticed it in the fight initially where it seemed like Journey Smollett was having a hard time, you know, kind of keeping her hair out of her face. She was whipping it around. So then for Harley Quinn to hand her a hair tie and have her tie her hair back, it's little stuff that you don't see in other movies that you have an opportunity to do here and that took advantage of it. Uh, There's another moment coming up where Harley Quinn, she goes away for a little bit and comes back in roller skates because she needs roller skates for the next part of the action set piece. But even Black Canary remarks like, when did she have time to do a shoe change? Like, I don't care. I love that she did it. And I'm on board with the fact that you you pointed out in kind of a tongue in cheek way. But David, at some point, we got to get out of this fucking fun house. But there's there's still so many bad guys outside. We got to clear a path. And do you remember that Black Canary maybe has powers? Well, she maybe definitely does, because here she uses a sonic scream, uh, an unexplained sonic scream. Did she get bitten by a radioactive bird? I don't think she did. But yeah, they never really explained it. It doesn't really matter. But here she's got superpowers. She lets out a scream that knocks all the bad guys away, blows them away as if she's uh, unleashed a tornado. And Harley Quinn, covering her ears, uses that same wind to propel her after the fleeing Roman. Harley Quinn, of course, wearing roller skates. She's able to pick up some uh, roller speed. You know, it's a little late in the movie to have a minor criticism, so I won't. But I will say that Black Canary's power, which is, you know, she's got this vocal range that, you know, shatters people's skulls or whatever. It doesn't make sense in the universe of this movie. This movie, for the most part, has been, as far as the action goes and as far as the physicality goes and as far as the powers go, has been very grounded in reality. So for out of nowhere, for Black Canary to have this supersonic power, it felt out of place. But for me, the movie's built up enough equity to where I'm okay with it. Yeah, I would have been okay with her just as an ass kicker, not also having a superpower, but whatevs. So Harley pursues Roman and Cassandra with the help of Huntress and some really durable roller skates. Roman and Cassandra retreat to the pier where Harley thinks she has Roman cornered, but it's actually Cassandra's turn to save the day. She drops a live grenade down Roman's pants, and he gets blown to bits. I guess Harley and Cassandra inherit a crime syndicate? I don't know the rules of how these things work. So Harley Quinn is uh, chasing after the bad guy on roller skates, and at some point she gets derailed because a car hits her and knocks her into another car. Uh, Oh shit, she's dead, (laughs) right? I think that would kill. (laughs) But she just dusts herself off and we got, because we got places to be, bad guys to kill. Yeah, absolutely. She just bounces right back up and here comes Huntress. Huntress is on her motorcycle. She throws Harley Quinn a a rope, like a little sort of uh, like a water skiing triangle. And she's like, do you need a ride? And so we're off with this chunk of of the chase. It's car versus roller skate. I thought this was a lot of fun. You know, when Huntress shows up, she's got her black leather jacket on and she's got her helmet on, which I appreciate that she took the time to be like, well, I'm going to ride a motorcycle. I need to put on my safety gear. 
uh, serving looks aside, this I'm on a motorcycle. There needs to be some safety here. But yes, David, the Huntress is now on her motorcycle and behind her, like a, a water ski, is Harley Quinn on, you're correct, the world's most durable roller skates. But you mentioned this earlier, one of the things that Harley Quinn was doing to keep her mind off a breakup was she joined roller derby. Is this scene why they dropped the roller derby stuff? So she has experience being But at least they did. They could have very easily not. And then we show up in the third act and be like, where the fuck did she get these roller skates? So at least they tried. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I was okay with it too. But yeah, you know, like I said, I was having fun in this sequence. There's a moment where Harley Quinn gets into, you know, there's two cars. There's uh, Roman and Cassandra in one. And then there's just a car trailing with, with assorted stooges and toadies. So Harley Quinn gets into that first car. And she's fighting him. You know, it's, it's really great close combat inside this car. And there's a really funny moment where, you know, she keeps hitting the driver. Uh, she keeps, you know, blows to the head and his head keeps bouncing off of the steering wheel. So you just keep hearing like these little like beep, beep, beep. Like every time he hits the wheel, it, it honks the horn. Just little moments like that. I just enjoyed it. Yeah, I got the feeling that Harley Quinn liked the noise it made. And I kind of wanted to close up on her face to ever be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's time to stop fucking around with these goons and time to get to the boss she needs to catch up to roman's car and how she does this uh like a roller derby person she says to the huntress whip me whip me at them and huntress does which normally that's all i want in a movie is margot robbie saying to mary elizabeth winston whip me but in this instance (laughs) it's uh you know it's asking a lot of your newfound friendship to say hey uh whip me and destroy your bike because like it really just involves sliding your motorcycle yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get why whipping made you have to crash your bike. Because I feel like that happened after the fact. I feel like if she's been training in Sicily under these assassins, someone taught her how to do a 180 on a motorcycle at some point. But she catches up with the Roman whose car crashes in something called like Founder's Pier. It's like a, a boardwalk that's lined with statues of, I guess, people that helped found Gotham City. But it's really foggy that night, David. In fact, you can't even really make out what these statues are of. You can only make out their silhouette. And at some moment, one of the statues you see has a very small silhouette. And I was like, oh, my, did a fucking kid help? It looked like a kid holding a baseball bat. And I was like, is this the inventor of stickball or something? And then you see a different angle. And the reason the silhouette is small is because the statue is half knocked over. And so seeing it from a distance, it's like it's flattened and it's shrunk. But for, I, thought, I thought it was like little Jimmy Gotham, you know, like a stickball champion, 1919. But no, it was, it was just a, some dude. Oh, there was a moment. There's another statue in a top hat. And I was like, is that Penguin? And I was like, why the fuck would that be Penguin? Or one of the members of the Court of Owls or something like that. A sick Easter egg for all you bat nuts out there. One thing I like about this scene or, you know, this chunk here at Founders Pier, I really like the sound work they do because, you know, you're you're experiencing it through... Harley's point of view, she's trying to find Roman and Cassandra through the fog. So the audio kind of plays, you know, one in one speaker, out the other, that kind of thing. I I, I liked it. Just a little stuff like that. Again, I just, I, I'm tickled by this movie. So Roman's voice is, is coming in and it's kind of reiterating everything that has been thrown to Harley this whole movie. They're like, no one respects her. She's not her own person. All she'll ever be is Joker's girlfriend. Harley Quinn rules, men rule, something like that. But Harley Quinn is like, nah, fuck that noise. And what she says, she's like, you know, you underestimated me. And then she says this. Your protection is based on the fact that people are scared of you. Just like they're scared of Mr. J. But I'm the one they should be scared of. Not you, not Mr. J. 
because I'm Harley fucking Quinn. But David, she says, I'm the one they should be scared of. That's weird. You could have pushed Harley Quinn a little bit more towards that kind of not uh, full on evil, but a little bit more kind of, you know, closer to neutral. But instead of like, I'm the one they should respect, but I'm the one they should be scared of. She still wants to scare people. I don't know. There's an interesting word choice there. It is an interesting word choice. You know, I get what this is. I get this is her affirmation. This is her, you know, building herself up. But you're right. Like, it's the struggle that this movie has, you know, let this be the worst thing that happens with this movie. But it doesn't quite know how to handle this character who otherwise in other movies and other iterations is pure evil or, you know, the sidekick to pure evil. So to make them likable or rather to follow their journey and follow their wants it's a bit of a challenge, especially if what they want is to be scared by the criminal syndicate. But Roman comes out and he's about to kill Cassandra. And Cassandra's like, oh, I have something to tell you before you die. Harley Quinn, I stole something from your apartment. I stole your ring. And then Cassandra Kane holds up her hand because she's a, you know, a little bit of a pickpocket there. And you see that the ring she's talking about is the pin of a grenade. He goes, oh, shit. Harley Quinn does a backflip and like, kicks him off the pier through the guardrail of the pier and then he blows up <laughs> david he fucking blows up <laughs> he blows the fuck up it's it's great because you know you're kicking him into the pier you think the movie wants to sort of nerf it a little bit and w- let him hit the water and then explode him oh no 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 right before he hits the water he explodes it's such a great kablooey this is going to be another mark out moment for me it felt a little anticlimactic but undeniably very cool like the fact that when he goes kablooey I feel like you could see a leg go flying. <laughs> There's parts. Yeah. It definitely was a moment where I, I didn't mark out, but I go, oh, damn. Like it just, it was, it was so hardcore so suddenly that, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I, I loved it. And our heroes win, right? Yes. Uh, our heroes do save the day and they're going to go ahead and celebrate over 10 a.m. Margs. And Montoya is going to team up with Huntress and Black Canary to form the Birds of Prey. Harley's going to split with Cassandra and then pawn the diamond and get enough money to finally buy that breakfast sandwich she's wanted for the past couple of days. Yeah, and they reveal that they handed the diamond over to the Huntress first so the Huntress could get those codes and reclaim uh, the Bertinelli fortune. They got the codes that Harley Quinn was able to sell the diamond. So it's funny, it's like a giant diamond that also has secrets. It's like a double MacGuffin. But this is fun. You know, this is just a nice little epilogue a la Pineapple Express. They all just sort of meet up and have breakfast. Again, I I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, just her awkwardness in trying to be a part of this group now, uh, not knowing how to compliment people. Like she says to Black Canary at one point, she's like, I really liked how you kicked high in those tight pants. And I really, I was okay with it. Yeah, Huntress is kind of like a Batman surrogate in a way where she tries to be this like really grim vigilante. And they kind of not dunk on her, but you know, you see that she's kind of struggling to trying to maintain this like, you know, uh, dark night veneer or what. And so the fact that it doesn't quite work for her is it's charming. But yeah, Harley Quinn actually says this. She's using it to fund a little crime fighting outfit. They call themselves the Birds of Prey. If they had not said the name of the team in the movie, I would have been okay with that. 100%, especially since there's no connective tissue. Like the only thing I can think of is Black Canary is a bird. Oh, I'm Black Canary. Oh, I'm the Sparrow. Oh, I'm, you know, it's it's clunky. But I, I, I don't know. 
And the Harley Quinn reveals that she set up like a detective agency. What is it she does at the end, actually? Oh, gosh. She goes into business for herself. She's just kind of, I think her card says like badass or something. Something that affects she's just a general, she's just generally going into business for herself. Yeah, but can you start your own legit business when you're a world famous criminal again? What I, do, I don't, this movie ends like it begins, which is like, like, who is Harley Quinn in this world? I still do not know. I guess I should know at this point. I guess she's just basically uh, not a big deal. I guess no one knows who the Joker is. People are not interested in world-famous superhero Batman and his his comings and goings. So why would they be interested in Harley Quinn? Well, you know, she killed Roman Sionis, so I guess she takes over all of his territory and all of his power. She just sort of sucks it up like a blob. I don't really know the inner workings of the Gotham underworld or their political system. As our heroes wear matching hats and they eat their matching sandwiches and they drive off into the figurative sunset, that concludes Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Okay, David, how many moms did you have? How many mark out moments? I had four. I liked them all. How about you? I had a single, but it was still a fun movie. David, is this someone's favorite movie? Perhaps. I hope so. I hope people can get behind stuff like this. This is just, it's a very easy, breezy action movie. Not a lot of weight behind it. This is a very good, not that you need an entry into the DC universe, but like if you have to watch one DC universe movie, either this or Shazam, honestly, like this is... Uh, this is fun. Well, you picked like the two like brightest, le- like least Zack Snydery of the two. What about the Suicide Squad? Did you see that? I saw the David Ayer one. I didn't see the James Gunn one. It, it, I'll see it on your word. The James Gunn one is a ton of fun. Yeah, people like Harley Quinn, and this is the most Harley Quinn movie. So yeah, I think it's got to be someone's favorite movie. All right, time for punch-ups. David, everybody knows we're the ultimate script doctors. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? All right. The first thing that stood out for me, kind of a weak ending for Harley Quinn. And I just, you know, we just made mention of it to where she defeats Roman Sionis. Uh, her and her gang defeat these guys, this this assortment of stooges and goons. So you would certainly think there's a vacuum in the criminal underworld now that she could fill. Like, couldn't she just run Gotham now? Like, that should be the completion of her arc. If she's looking to be a person in her own right, wouldn't that just be awesome to see her run this town, uh, this fictional alternate Gotham, let's say. My second punch up, we don't do enough with Cassandra, I don't think, or we don't see enough of her world. We just get the sense that she is a pickpocket and that's it. So I kind of wanted Cassandra to be a recruiter for like a child army of pickpockets and thieves so that they can build their own army against Black Mask and his his approaching army. But then I said that and I was like, man, do I just want like a lady Joker? Because that's essentially what happens in the movie Joker, where he just inspires all these numb nuts to emulate him. Could we just have Harley Quinn be that before this movie? So I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking a little too much. I'd like a little more Black Mask. I'd like to see why are we calling him Black Mask? Why does he wear a black mask? It's Ewan McGregor. Get that mask off him. Uh, finally, Mac, my biggest punch up of all justice for Erica. You know, we, we made her take her dress off in the club and then we just left it at that. Like, I know it's a bit fantastical, but have her at the end of the movie, like have her be the one to kick him, (laughs) to kick Roman off the pier or like have her, have her do something satisfying to say, Hey, yeah, yeah. 
dickweed. You shouldn't have done that. But these are going to be my punch-ups, Mac. How about you? I might have just cut that scene from the movie. I don't know, though. I, I, I always feel like that's not my call. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to hear uh, more of a, a woman's perspective on that if they thought that scene fit, because I don't feel like it did. But that maybe is just me. My biggest punch-up here is the Joker. We got to get past him. We got to get past him early. Like, I, I get that that's Harley Quinn is trying to come into her own. Great, but we don't have to keep talking about the fucking Joker because you're talking about a guy who's not in the movie. If you want him in the movie, then yeah, put him in there. Like, get rid of Jared Leto, recast someone. The DC movies, the way that they cast people that don't want to be in them, that that just needs to fucking stop. Like, you saw Shazam, right? They tried to get a Superman cameo and it didn't work. So their solution to it was to, instead of having Henry Cavill, just have someone else wear a Superman suit and just not show his head. His head is like cut off and it just is fucking ridiculous. So if Ben Affleck doesn't want to be Batman, great. Someone else does. Get him in there. Like, if you don't want Jared Leto in the movie, get a different person to be Joker. Just obviously, it's not a punch up. It's just going to fix your shit is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) After the first 15 minutes, I don't want to hear the word Joker anymore. Number two is just pick a tone. Is she a cartoon character or are we going to do stuff like where we torture Erica, which is not uninteresting to have that kind of deal with those kind of issues in this movie. I think it was an effective scene. So if you want to leave it in, maybe let's massage the rest of the movie to to match it. Now, also, again, Gotham City, this movie did not feel like it took place in a consistent Gotham City, which is great. If you don't want to like fuck around with Gotham and have nerds like me be like, yeah, Gotham City, it's not, it's a little too bright. Move to make some other fake city up, right? Just, I'm sure there's some other fake city in the DC comic book universe you could go to. Uh, uh, Scrub Haven? I don't know. You know, uh, Flash was in Central City. Maybe this could be a Southeast City. I don't know. It's just fucking who gives a shit. Yeah. Also, that hyena. Were you expecting that hyena to come back? I would have liked it to, especially the introduction of it was like it chewed some guy, you know, like it ate some guy and left a leg. I would have liked to have seen more with the hyena. I thought that was like Chekhov's hyena that it was going to come back at a key time to chomp a key person. It just did not. So my note would be, uh, let's have one more hyena chomp. That's pretty much my note for every movie, though, Davis. That's a little cheap. It's a little cheesy. It really is. My God, I couldn't watch Terms of Endearment with you. Should have called it Terms of Hyenas. <laughs> all right, David, please please enter the Punch Mountain video store. As you know, this is an all-action video store. We have three copies of Birds of Prey to stock. Since it's all action, David, which subsections of action would you put these copies in? Uh, The first copy is going to go in Smashing the Patriarchy. I don't think we can have a Smashing the Patriarchy section without this movie. Uh, Second one's going to go, all right, let's do this, by the way. So we've been putting a lot of these in IP, uh, action, uh, intellectual property, whatever. We got to break that thing up. I just let's put this on comic book action, and we'll start building the shelves from there. Third one is going to be a little controversial. Actually, I'll, I'll split this. It could go either or. Uh, one, I'm very high on this movie uh, enough to where I would put it on employee picks and and be very happy to talk anyone's ear off about it. But I think long term, I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You know, she's a genre actor. She's got a lot of action under her belt already. I think she's going to have a lot more action in her career when it's all said and done. I like watching her in movies, so I think I'd like to have a Mary Elizabeth Winstead shelf. That sounds good to me. The only thing I would change, David, is the comic book action shelf. I mean, that's going to be a pretty fucking big shelf, so I would maybe even split it up into either like, you know, DC or whatever versus Marvel, or maybe a shelf for R-rated superhero stuff because it seems like that might be, you know, warranted enough of a shelf. I mean, you throw in like Logan, the Deadpool movies, etc. cetera, uh, then yeah, maybe, maybe it gets it, maybe it doesn't. All right, Dave, crunch time. And by crunch time, I mean punch time. I mean punch time, I mean time to determine 
the place of Birds of Prey on Punch Mountain, aka the definitive ranking of action movies. Just a reminder to people at the summit, the top five right now, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, and RRR. At the base, the bottom of the mountain, is Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, 2021-22. And at the Visitor Center, David, right next to where you buy those commemorative shot glasses for the Punch Mountain, because I, I don't know what Punch Mountain has to do with shot glasses, but they're there, is the movie Chappie. So, David, before we get the mountains rankings, where would you put this movie? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm I'm not going to get too greedy about this one. I think it belongs somewhere in the middle. Like, as much as I like this movie and as much fun as I have with it, as rewatchable as it is, it does have its flaws. It does have its issues uh, that kind of bring you back down to earth a little bit. But this is going to be one of those movies where the victory is having it on the mountain. The victory is talking about it in positive terms for an hour 40. So middle, lower middle, I'm cool with whatever. Yeah, it's getting a little tricky, David, because this mountain has got some good stuff on it. The movies that are in the middle right now, there's not much that separates them because there's a lot of like really entertaining films that are around there. I mean, this movie did have some very good action. Uh, it, it maybe is a little, little messy, but in terms of superhero action, a lot of the fighting felt very grounded to me. It didn't feel like uh, those other DC movies where you just have like two CGI characters battling it out. So I enjoyed that. But yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. Good thing it ain't up to me. It's up to the mountain, because the mountain's word is law, David. But you know who doesn't have respect for laws? Harley Quinn. I know. What are we doing here? What is this thing? David, look out. The rocks are starting to fall off of the mountain. The golden letters that say birds of prey have now revealed themselves in spot number 13. So it's 11 is the Woman King, followed by Top Gun Maverick, followed by Birds of Prey, then Yes Madam, Cliffhanger, Punisher Warzone. Not bad company. I am super okay with that. I, you know, every time I get down about a pick, not that I'm down about this necessarily, but like anytime I question a decision of the mountain, I look at like Dirty Dozen at 18 now and I look at Poseidon Adventure at 23 and I'm like, man, I love those movies. Those things belong at the bottom of the mountain. Like the, the mountain is its own thing and I love it to death. That's not an ordinary battle horn. That's a horn calling us to action on this podcast. We talk a lot about fictional action heroes. But we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting Stand With Trans. Stand With Trans offers resources for transgender youth and the parents of transgender individuals, from support group offerings to community education and youth workshops. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Stand With Trans. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air because we are needy. For more information on Stand With Trans or to donate directly to them, visit standwithtrans.org. All right, folks, that'll do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain. Or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from 1995 and directed by Robert Rodriguez, we'll be watching Desperado. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.